0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne,
1: truly independent community radio.
2: On a Wednesday, we welcome you to Bite Into It, where we discuss... Technology, computing, the internet, uh, what Trump tweeted last, um, all of the things that um, you're probably across, whether you uh, need to be or not, Um, we're determined to give you the full picture uh, tonight on the show. Um, Behind the panel, uh, it's Mr Dan Salmon. How are you, Dan? I'm very well, Warren. How are you? I'm feeling good. Uh, I feel like... um, it was pretty cold today, but it was nice and sunny, and I feel like changing uh, change in weather is about to come, so I feel like we got through winter. and
1: I, uh, Yeah, no, I reckon we've, we're through the worst of it, and we've got some nice kind of crisp mornings coming ahead, but it's, a, it's, a, it's all towards summer from here, and I'm I'm definitely down for that.
2: Mm, I noticed the
1: motorcycle helmet over here. Is that an indicator of better weather? or No, that's an indicator of I haven't ridden my motorbike in a while, and it was the one sunny day that I've been in the country for <laughs> for the last three months, so I took it while I had it. It huh. was damn freezing, I will say. I'm wearing thermals right now.
2: Yeah, fair mm. enough. Uh, I'm with you also. uh, I'm Warren Davies. And uh, tonight on the show, um, we do have uh, a few guests and uh, a bit to talk about. Um, If you work in a creative field, if you're in um, design or, yeah, I I guess anything design related, you'd be uh, fairly familiar with um, Adobe and and Creative Cloud. Um, They're working pretty hard to, um, I guess... Um, stay in front of some of the other products that are coming along and uh, a, a lot of people who work in this area have probably diversified what they use a fair bit. Um, there's lots of different things to make and, and work with and they're doing their best to, to kind of stay on top of that. And uh, our roving reporter, James Noble, um, was up at the uh, Adobe Symposium um, a week or two back and he's going to report in on um, what they're doing in that space. Um, back here in Melbourne though, um, Fed Square is... I guess, uh, a very iconic um, part of Melbourne and probably one of the most important tiles on the Monopoly board of, of <laughs> Melbourne. i um, <laughs> not sure it's been described that it's way it's before. It's the only one that isn't
1: a commercial concern of some description, but let's not go there. Exactly. It's a,
2: it's a utility of, of some description. And um, working on its utility um, is a, a group of artists um, and um, they've been having a play with the... Uh, the the I guess the um, digital display there and making it more responsive and, and um, interactive with uh, the community um, as we kind of ebb and flow past that. So um, their artistic director will be joining us a little bit later in the show, um, not too far from now. But before those things happen, uh, there is a bit of news going on um, around the world and... One of the things that um, caught my eye um, today is um, the US is investigating uh, algorithmic bias, um, which, I don't know, it sounds like the sort of thing you might talk about at a party and um, people go, hey, what is that? Um, (laughs) And then you don't have an answer for the question? You don't really have an answer. We have a bit of an answer, but um, the person who do has to come up with an answer um, uh, fairly quickly is uh, Jack Dorsey, um, the Twitter chief executive, um, who will testify before the US um, House Energy and Commerce Committee um, on September 5 next week about how the company monitors and moderates user content, the panel, um, yeah, a a variety of things. Um, He's actually going to have a fairly busy day. He's um, doing that and then um, uh, swanning across uh, Washington to testify uh, on the Russian election um, interference um, before the Senate Intelligence Committee. He's a man in demand. Man in demand. He'll have lots of Manila folders. um, He'll be wearing his best blue suit. um, But, yeah, uh, algorithmic bias is... um, Something we all have to be vigilant on, Um, I mean, we all kind of know um, on social media you can create a very specific kind of filter bubble that you live in and um, critics of the platforms do believe that um, they are actually designed that way. They're only as kind of fair and open as we design them to be. So there is that kind of human um, failing um, built into these platforms. so yeah, I, I think um, it's related to um, I guess not unreasonable concerns from um, conservative politicians that um, the, the left-wing nature of the people who've um, built these platforms and the entrepreneurs behind them are starting to show
1: through a little bit um, too strongly um, in
2: the, the content that gets served up. Um, yeah. Well, what I mean, that,
1: that, well, that's 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 an interesting kind of follow-up to this uh, second story that uh, we uh, f- happened across in that. Uh, President Trump, in his infinite wisdom, and it is infinite, um, has been jumping on the old Twitter to have a bash at Google for uh, doing that exact thing. So essentially, uh, preferencing or prioritising uh, articles or new or content online that is, uh, I suppose, critical of the Trump administration and the Republican Party more generally. Mm. The interesting thing that I, the thing that I found interesting there was that Google tailors it to you. Yes. So when you're searching things for Google mm. or searching for things on Google, it's going to, it goes through your previous history and any a bit of data that it's got on you. And let's be honest, Google's got a lot of data on you mm. and creates a list of things that it thinks that you will appreciate most. So what is Trump doing? Googling. Searching for. Do you think if he types in Trump, um,
2: the next two words are bad news on a fairly regular basis?
1: Or Trump fake news, Trump sad, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Yeah, I don't know. know. Um, so, I, I mean, it's all very well and good to mouth off about the technology, but you need to have mm. a basic understanding of what the technology is before you start mouthing off about it because when it comes to throw back in your face the way that it could possibly do with, with someone just saying, so, Mr. Trump, all this bad publicity that you're getting... That, those are the articles that you're reading, aren't they? Mm. Like, I don't know. Do we need to talk about this? Can, please continue. I'm, I'm going to start rambling.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> he, he did make the specific allegation that 96% of results on Trump news are from national left-wing media. Um, without... Going too far into it, people believe that um, there was a, a, a piece published by the Guardian um, in the states. I think um, that um, did admit their not terribly scientific study mm-hmm. of the top 100 Google news results for the search term Trump apparently suggested a um, uh, left-wing, uh, left kind of wing bias, which also kind of goes back to um, Twitter as well. They, they did actually um, have to address the concern that um, a lot of the people who work there are, um, are kind of um, left-leaning, and mm-hmm. they didn't kind of defend that. But there's, there is actually this constant tension. Um, it's been a very um, prominent story in um, the past few months about um, sort of reactionary right-wing content and how do we ban this commentator and that commentator. And it is an important thing. Everyone in the community wants extremists at either end um, to be held accountable. Um, and if they have violated um, terms of service um, or, um, more importantly, kind of laws of the land that we all hold true... Mm. That they do have their, um, they do get warnings, or they do have their accounts taken down um, if that's required. Um, I think Twitter has copped a little bit more flack on it, um, and they have. Um, there's been historically criticism about like it's quite easy to be a Nazi on Twitter, for example, or it's quite easy to um, to, sh- to shame people and and, and so forth. Um, so they are quite tolerant by design, um, and um, that has kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong mm. way. Whereas Facebook, famously, every um, uh, every week, are talking about we we kicked out um, ten thousand people with IRA accounts, or we took, kicked out this many um, fake um, pages for this, or, or this many of
1: that Alex Jones, or Alex Jones, yeah. eventually, well, uh, after after months and years of his ridiculousness. But I mean, uh, there there are those who argue that these, uh, you know, it's, it, it comes back to the free speech thing, where whereby they think that these views should be aired out there, so that the people who are extolling them can be hung out to dry, in uh, or or shown to be the kind of horrible human beings that they are. Mm. Um, you know, because no, nothing's going to, I suppose, placate someone more than online shaming by the sounds of it, uh, especially considering the kind of stuff that Milo Yiannopoulos has been uh, putting on his Facebook mm. the last little bit. Mm. Um, I don't actually have anything in front of me around that, but he was basically having a massive cry about how uh, no one's backed him up for being a horrible person. Interesting, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll we'll stay on
2: top of that. Um, I, I think I think there is something to, to talk about there, um, and and that will get talked about um, mm-hmm. no end. Um, something that hasn't been talked about quite so much is uh, what Yahoo have been um, doing
1: with our emails. What's, no. what's going on there, Dan? Well, it's um it's it's interesting. Like in the wake of all of the various data breaches and kind of uh, uh, issues that have been going on with regard to personal data and. Uh, the roles that uh, the big companies Google, Facebook, the social medias, AOL, Yahoo have mm. had in, uh, I suppose, opening up or, or storing this data to be used by whoever, um, we've seen a lot of a, a lot of rhetoric coming from most pla- most places around. Um, we're we're going to protect your data. We're not going to do this anymore. One thing that um, historically Google and Yahoo and America Online have done. Was to scan your email content and use what was in those emails to provide you with advertising that was tailored to you, mm-hmm. because obviously we all want to be advertised to for the things that we want. That's that's what these companies have decided, and they want to. That's how they make their money. Yes. Um, following on from all of the various data breaches, Google and most of the others have actually said, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. Oath, which um, I hadn't heard of before I was reading about this, but they've been around for a year. They're essentially a the co- the merger of America Online and Yahoo, uh, owned by Verizon, which is mm. one of the largest US uh, comms companies or uh, mm-hmm. ISPs. Mm. Uh, they're still doing it. They're still going through your emails. They're still trying to tailor the advertising for you. Mm-hmm. And it seems that they're kind of doing it pretty unapologetically. I mean, uh, they're, they're, they're following on from the kind of, you know, in the last few days of it happening their, their share prices kind of uh, fallen down a little bit. but um, they're still uh, yeah going, going through you know hundreds of millions of emails a day to search for you know the things that you bought or the things that you've been uh, you know, receiving in terms of your uh, mm-hmm. I suppose your know, mailing lists or whatever mm-hmm. and putting up the, the pop-up ads that we, we all know and hate for those things. And, you know, it's, it's, I think we've discussed this ad nauseum for the last number of years. It's a creepy thing. It might, it might very well, you know, put the ad for the thing that you were searching for in front of you at all the time. But that, doesn't necessarily feel with all, all the confidence in the world.
2: Yeah, I think
1: they need to um,
2: they need to uh, be a little bit clearer about what they are actually looking for as well. Mm. Um, if they continue to do it, um, they have said that they're um, excluding some things from scanning, such as um, health and medical information. Um, but um, there's been pressure on things like um, sensitive information, like bank transfers and stock receipts, mm. and 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 so forth.
1: And and certain online retailers have actually kind of responded to this. In 2015, Amazon actually stopped putting full out of receipts in the emails that they send because they didn't want email companies to be reading the things which is kind of understandable and almost admirable as far as Amazon's concerned. Mm. But it'll be interesting to see after this kind of, you know, this was a thing that the Wall Street Journal have kind of been investigating. It'll be interesting to see uh, where this ends up. Mm. It might end up in Russia. Um,
2: Next (laughs) to our our little blue friend
1: here. It Um, might be. What's happening? So, Warren, when you hear the word Kalashnikov, what do you think? Um, I think of um, Vietnam. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think of guns. We think of guns. So uh, for those uh, who don't know, Kalashnikov is a company that made all of its money in the kind of Cold War, essentially making what is known as possibly the biggest killing machine in history, the AK-47. It was a machine gun. Most people have heard of it. Um, Kalashnikov have uh, diversified in, in recent years and have released an electric car, which they hope is going to be rivaling Get Tesla. In the electric car, absolutely. I will get out of town. This thing, it's it's actually kind of, it's the, the, the prototype they put out, they say that it's ready for production, but uh, none of the photos that they've put up show the interior of the car. So it may very well just be a very look, good-looking shell. And when I say good-looking, it's good-looking in the sense that it looks like a 1970s larder. I don't know if anyone out there remembers mm. Lada, like uh, the yeah. of those Russian, yeah. like a proper Soviet-looking car. Mm. It's like light blue. It's got the kind of silver handles. It, does, it doesn't It does look like a Tesla. Let's just say
2: that. Also, you probably won't find a, a rack of AK-47s um, <laughs> in know, in, in, a te- in a Tesla showroom. No. Um, they've actually just oh, in, they their, totally in their do. showroom, they've just got, you like gun, you like car. <laughs> I just saw that in the photo. There's a tank there. <laughs> There is, a, there is a tank there There's if you need something a little bit heavier and traffic's a little bit more concerning
1: yeah but um just flying around Moscow in your in your electric ak-47 exactly. oh, that's incredible but yeah what, what I really love the um uh, th- Warren you you brought this to my attention in the article uh, Kalashnikov it, although it's known for its weaponry it's branched into other products including iPhone covers fair enough great umbrellas useful? I I like, I like the idea that it wouldn't break like a yeah, Kalashnikov. Totally. And and you know, useful in Russia definitely. And also, a f- new 4 meter tall combat robot named Little Igor, whose design appears to have been plucked from the Star Wars. And it does look like one of those like walking I don't I don't know the what walkers. The yeah. walkers. Yeah, it looks mm-hmm. like a walker. I, I don't know what use you've got for that kind of thing, but we'll, we'll find <laughs> we'll out. We'll find out. Maybe if if like the Kalashnikov kind of empire continues the way that it seems to be. You can actually get yourself a robot that will kind of, I don't know, store the car somehow, pick it up, take it in. I'm, I'm, I'm blathering. Mm. Who knows? Um, if you do blather on WhatsApp, um, you have to be careful about that as well. This is true. It's a very mm. important. Um, WhatsApp, so... Uh, famous for providing end-to-end encryption for mm-hmm. your uh, communication. So, you know, if you're messaging someone on WhatsApp, you can be reasonably certain that it's, it's been encrypted the entire way from your phone to the recipient's phone. Except um, WhatsApp have recently, in the last couple of weeks, announced an, uh, an arrangement that they've put together with Google whereby you can store your uh, WhatsApp history or message history on Google Drive without uh, eating into your Google Drive mm-hmm. um Data limit. Yep. Which, you know, is great, except for the fact that WhatsApp have now just announced that anyone who is doing this, and it is primarily people who use Android phones because you can back up uh, on an iPhone, you can back it up in a different way. Mm. But on uh, Google phones, if you're backing up your WhatsApp using Google Drive, it's not going to be encrypted using the same technology and it's not going to be as secure as it would be in WhatsApp, right? So um, just be a bit careful. You can ch- uh, check your settings in uh, in your uh, Android devices. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you're comfortable with the, your backups not being as secure as WhatsApp, that's fine. You know, I I generally only use WhatsApp because I have friends who use WhatsApp. Um, but if you're the kind of person who uses WhatsApp because it is secure, uh, just maybe check those details and make sure that it isn't isn't being backed up to uh, Google Drive because um, it's it's not as it's not as secure as they would like. Mm.
2: If you work in the creative industry um, or have ever um, bumped into someone who does, um, no doubt they will know Adobe. Um, It's one of the, I guess, initially software creators, but now kind of um, cloud purveyors of creative products that um, we all kind of love and sometimes love to hate. Um, I still love to hate Photoshop, (laughs) even though I do spend a lot of time (laughs) making very small Slack um, kind of um, avatars on there. Um, it does do good stuff. <laughs> and investigating the good stuff um, was James Noble, who was recently up at the uh, Adobe uh, Symposium. James, thanks for coming in.
3: Oh, thanks for having me.
2: Um, they did something different this year. They brought together um, the creative event and the business event. Would you say that worked yes. pretty well? Yes,
3: uh, it worked beautifully. I, um, I've only been to one of the symposiums, which is usually at the Sydney Opera House. Mm. It's more this kind of get people to pitch Um how they've used the Adobe products to deliver something mm. amazing. And it's usually sort of bigger, big, high level corporates and bigger projects that sort of present, which are really interesting. Um, and then there was the Make It um, conference last year, which is more just focused on creatives and teaching uh, how to use their products, mm. uh, making animated GIFs and video, video editing and audio editing and things like that. And then they kind of combine the two together into a mm. sort of um, one conference to
2: rule them all. Ah, yeah. people with beards kind of like... It was uh, a lot of beards. Uh, coming from all over yeah, the yeah, lands yeah. With, yeah. The, with the rings. Um, so for people who don't know what Adobe is, like, what, why is it good and why is it important to technology, for example? So I've been using Adobe for as long as
3: I've been doing what I'm doing, so 20-plus years. Mm. Adobe is, it, it, for me, it was one of those things that was the first insight into how to create... Um, Design how to design and create mm. experiences or visuals, or illustrations. That can learn how to do typography, mm. how to create fonts in it. Mm. So it's kind of a platform. Now it's kind of branched down, like you said, into the cloud, and it's got it's exponentially bigger. There's there's more icons that look like um, elements mm. that I know what they are anymore. Mm. I don't use it as much as I used to. As, mm. uh, you know, as you know, like. Mm the more the, the bigger your, your team grows the less you get to be on yeah. the tools and they won't let like, you yeah. no yeah. But i was cursing at photoshop <laughs> as well so <laughs> you know when you, it crashes and you open it and it, all your pa- all your panels your toolkit like your, tool, yeah. um, your panels are just a For bit in yeah. a reset to where
2: halfway between the monitors or something like yeah that. and i yeah. couldn't i'm like
3: where is the god <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah they've grown over years like say a photoshop i started on photoshop 2 and now it's up to Twenty-three mm. or something like that. So it's, mm. it's been around a while.
2: And what was the what was the focus of the symposium? What what did they want people to kind of understand on the day, or enjoy, or or kind of take away from it was the symposium?
3: Re- it was really interesting because it was kind of obviously it's a platform for them to promote, kind of like Apple do with their mm. conference, and they do the Dev One and. Um, Google's as well like it's mm-hmm. it's to promote the brand sure. but and actually give something back as well in, in a way and be able to show people what's possible with their platforms as well as people that are' using it talking from their point of view of how they've achieved a goal for a, a project and then they also mix it in with um, people presenting new features and new new offerings that they're delivering to to their products so it's kind of nice you can kind of and because you can pick your own experience you can kind of decide which who you're going to go and see speak um, what you're going to, what you're going to want to take away from it, whether it's marketing, whether it's advertising, whether it's yeah, learning how to do more creative things, or it's about business planning, or so you can kind of move it around uh, as you see fit and pre pre-book your sessions and then go and see people talk and you can ask them questions as well.
1: Cool. So what what kind of stuff were you excited about? What what did you take away from it?
3: I always like the um the, the call the, they call it, it was nicknamed uh, the Great Hall. I don't know whether Adobe chose it to be like that, but they had this Great Hall, which is sort of the where everyone had, you know, obviously like free Wi-Fi, big all the stalls for like promoting the different companies that uh, had a space there. So there's quite a lot of the big names there, and some of that I hadn't heard of before. But I really enjoyed going around there and seeing, you know, new AR technology and new VR and new ways of interacting um, phones with um, technology in the home and. Uh, Illustrations. watching someone live illustrate is pretty cool. Like, you ah. wish you could do it. Do mm. like, you know, when you see the, you know, the type of the call- uh, calligraphy with the beautiful mural on a wall? and You're like, mm-hmm. oh, bastard. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. no, that's amazing. How the hell did you do that? <laughs> you know, and this is speed. How did you make that so perfect with one swipe? Like, yeah, so it was amazing to do that. And using a tablet, so I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the, um, the talks about some of the products, like we were saying, like the new, like the Photoshop's and the what's coming and how it's evolving. Um, uh, <laughs> prompt. Um, uh, the, yeah, the experience design platform. Um, I know
2: nothing about this. I literally just picked up on this a little bit, but
3: so yeah, I spoke last year at uh, at Make It, and I'm sort of all about the uh, people's experience and how to um, engage people in the right way. Mm. And Adobe have brought out, I think, a couple of years ago now, XD, mm. which is mm. an experience design platform. Mm. Uh, it's a way to mix. Your ideas into this. If you're doing it from a, say, a digital point of view of a website, you would mm. use it as a way or an applicate an app, like a mobile app. You would use it to sketch your ideas, turn that get then in the same app. You tab into another section to create the visual for it, mm. and then from there to create the prototype from it. So it's all in one spot, and then it gets now. Now the new version pushes to the cloud, so you can mm. test it, kind of like Envision. Yeah, um, and it's been growing and growing. Like I've been sort of chatting to the to the product team in mm. um, uh, Palo Alto. Mm. And helping sort of met the, it was nice to see, I think it's for the first time ever, I've seen some of my ideas actually in a product like mm. actually come to life, which is quite cool. nice. Um, and it's been really good. I think it's actually starting to become really really useful for mm. I mean, you as well. making stuff, making stuff really quickly and easily.
2: Do you think they felt like they were sort of losing out on that? like you had envisions and sketches and like people are people who work with Adobe, have got, more tools than they've ever needed before, and lots mm. of different ways they can do stuff. And even, I, I guess, um, developers are asking for things in very particular ways. That whereas they used to ask for like a you know a Photoshop file, mm. people kind of don't do that so much anymore. So
3: yeah, we've gone through the influx of uh, for digital like building websites and applications that you need to transport hand over what you've created to the mm. next stage mm. where you're ag- in an agile format or a Wagile or a waterfall. Mm. They, Photoshop wasn't really intuitive to do that, mm. and they didn't really have a web platform uh, to c- connect the dots between a designer and a developer. Mm. And so they've created this product. Mm. It it happened after the, obviously, like every big brand, they see if it it works before they actually create it. Mm. And if you think about things like Figma and uh, Envision Studios now come out, and there was Webflow and lots of online in-browser things, but they're not quite powerful enough because you're limited by the capability of the browser. They're pretty Mm. good, but then you start to really pull weight on power on the, um, I can see which, you've got the the MacBook there. it doesn't do too well if you plug it into a 4 k screen no I don't screen. can't use
2: Adobe too yeah. much on the. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: so they've brought this very, This is their first one of their first trials of trying to make a product which is really lean but really effective mm. and so I think you know they've seen a big gap in the market and mm. if, if you can connect the dots rather because I have the problem you know, I am I've run an you know, experienced mm. design agency I can't I get frustrated with the amount of subscriptions that we have to use each mm. month and how much we have to invest in mm. connecting that to that and that to that. And I mean, I'm sure you've got the same problem with the amount of mm. conversation platforms you're using mm. between HipChat and Slack mm. and Jira and it's, got, it's Lots of stuff. So that's this kind of joins it into that cloud for that monthly subscription, I think.
2: Mm. Um, did you get to catch any of the other speakers? I
3: did. I got to see... Pretty interesting group. see yeah. Prue Jones from Fjord, formerly of yeah. DT, AK, AKQA, mm. Reactive. They're all kind of... Mm. She was uh, really good on stage. Mm. She was great, actually. But what I really liked was using it as a platform to be able to connect with people who I've met before at other conferences that are in other agencies and mm. go to their agencies in Sydney mm. and basically... You know, scan your eyes over there, work mm. on the walls and see how they're doing things. Yeah. And sort of see the spaces. Like there's in that new sustainable building in um, Bangoroo, oh, where oh, Fjord and Accenture are. I went okay. through there. That was awesome. That's just, yeah. I was actually, my friend was the project manager of the building. So it was like, <laughs> I actually wanted to see the building as well. I mean, yeah, great. And then, but see how they how they work and how they sort of set up their rooms and their labs. And mm. uh, it was just really nice to be able to do that. And then in the, in the, in the, off t- downtime, go and mm. check out their spaces. So it was really good.
2: So for for people who do work in Adobe and kind of do all kinds of stuff with it, whether they draw or make websites or you know um, do whatever, um, design buildings or just mm. put their ideas down, what 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 should people watch out for? What do you think is interesting about what's coming up for them? Do you reckon in the future for Adobe or just, for Adobe? Yeah, yeah, like what 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 do you like most about it today? Like we've got all those legacy programs that we'll continue mm. to use, but. They've added in, I mean, they bought a stock photography
3: platform, they've added that into it. They're kind mm. of making things, rather than being completely siloed, mm. they're putting panel, like, you know, um, Toolbox tool kits. I've lost the word. What's the the third party
2: integrations as well? They're they're working with Slack, and you can do a few other things where you can just like share stuff, and that's clever. And just not having to have two apps open, you can just, just the one
3: little bit you need from that platform can get is in a little window and you can just pop it in directly, which has been really helpful. And they're sort of crossing them over. They're starting to see things more from rather than Photoshop being purely for um, illustrators and photography. It's now, they've separated that, you know, Lightroom's been there for years, but mm. now they've sort of enhanced that feature and then also had options and things for it to be web or to be apps mm. or to be um, architectural formats. Mm-hmm. So they reorganize your space for that sort of yeah. product, which has been really good. Like, uh, I've been trying to figure out how to use it. So you've got 3D space now in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. I haven't figured out how to use it. Mm. I've never have an opportunity to apply yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they've kind of made it
2: there's like 20 or 30 products now and they just keep mm. coming up with new ways to put things in which has been great well hopefully um, you'll get back there next time as well because it um, sounds like an interesting space and sounds like you really enjoyed it too I said.
3: It was just nice, you know. It's like sitting around another yeah. three and a half thousand people and so many creatives that mm. have beards <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, loud hair, and and everyone just feels comfortable. And you just you can just walk over to someone and say hello. It was Hi. great
2: with my people. Um, <laughs> thanks, James. Well, um, good to hear what Adobe's been up to. And um, yeah, um, if you get along to another one, let us know how it went. For sure. Hey, if you've wandered past uh, Fed Square in recent times, you may have come across um, uh, all manner of things. But um, I think one of the um, most important parts of what it does is the big screen there um, I've been to heaps of events and done heaps of things where it's been a, a large part of that um, and it's being reimagined um, uh, we are now joined um, on the phone by Bruce Ramus, um, who's Artistic Director at Ramus Studios and they've been working on uh, an interesting kind of responsive installation um, uh, around that screen um, Bruce, thanks for joining us on the phone tonight
0: Thanks for having me My pleasure
2: um, so, this, uh, this is a fun project. How does um, someone at Fed Square kind of get in touch and say maybe we should be doing something different or something interesting with, with that um, screen or space there? How does a project like this get started?
0: Well, I guess my relationship with Fed Square started uh, some years ago, maybe almost about eight or nine years ago, and I did a couple of major com- temporary commissions there over the years. Um, Light Hearts was one back in 2012, and then I did a-, a big sculpture called Helix Tree. So I had a relationship with them already, uh, and uh, they approached me about three years ago um, to, to to sort of come up with a vision of how light and technology could be used to serve the the cultural charter um, in a permanent way. So I, I imagined something much greater than, than what's there now, um, and then that sort of morphed into, um, that, that sort of went through the state government um, machine, and uh, it, it, it became clear that what was needed at the time was, a, was quite um, prosaic and pragmatic, which was to replace their existing event screen. So then, I turned my attention to the transport building and see to see how I could reimagine that whole space and that whole building to create a um, a, a sort of digital art platform for for the community and for Fed Square. So um, yeah, that's that's sort of how it evolved.
2: Hmm. L- looking at the um, the video um, behind the launch um, of the um, the new kind of. Functionality—it's almost kind of like the whole, um, the whole back of the building is now part of the installation, and you've kind of got like a, 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 almost I guess like a a transparency around um, part of it. So you kind of respect where the current screen is, but open the whole the whole building up for projection and for interaction. What what was the kind of ambition behind using the the back of transport there?
0: I guess the the. The ambition per se was essentially it is a platform. So I wanted to give um, Federation Square and Melbourne a-, a chance to be able to speak, um, to-, to develop a sort of civic visual voice. And um, the. Uh, so to do that, I, I really wanted to develop a much broader canvas and a much different shape than uh, just a normal 16 by 9 rectangle. So I wanted to broaden that out and find a way to integrate the image and the visuals into the architecture. Um, so that so it had a two two form twofold purpose. One was to sort of integrate it from a design perspective. The other was to integrate it into the community. So. We've achieved the first one, I feel, and the second one has just, just begun.
2: So how do, we, how do we get people to play with this? Uh, it's talked about, when you said it's responsive, when I was kind of reading the email, I was kind of like, oh, that's great, it'll kind of resize, but it's kind of more, you want people to play with it. Is, is that the idea?
0: I do. I, I, I really do. And that, that takes a bit of time and a bit of education as to how, um, how this works. Because it is not, uh, it's, it, it is something that it, you, one must take responsibility for um, the others that watch it and for how our city feels and, and begin to develop an agency for how a city can feel. Um, so I really feel like this approach um, heralds a new way to design cities um to me and the way we can play with it now so we begin by um first approaching some emerging artists and approaching uh the universities to allow the students to make works that will get displayed on the uh uh, on the transport building, and then broaden it from there. so then look to institutions and art galleries um, and then build interactive uh, activations that allow the general public to start to play with it. And whether that's as simple as just changing color, finger painting on on the on the building or more sophisticated works that uh, that you can use to, to create, more generative visuals so it's it's a long process but it's 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 just beginning that that part of it now
2: Mm. do do you um i'd love to know what the the artists that you approached thought about how they would use the space that like that seems to be a good indication to how Melburnians and people from around the world might want to play with it what what were some of the ideas if you're able to share those or
0: (laughs) yeah well we 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 have just begun that process, and so our initial ideas and and I think that they've met with um, you know so similar responses is uh, in in some way to to reflect what it is to be uh, in Melbourne, so to reflect that sense of discovery, to 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 uh, to actually develop a kind of transparency to the building. It's interesting you mentioned that in your first question. Um, that the building—it's almost like you can see through it. You, mm. And 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 the, what what the light does? Because I just I don't see it really as video. I see it just as light. And and so what the light does. Um, is it creates more space and that is the kind of recurring theme i'm i'm feeling people are responding to is that they have a chance to create more space and whether that is um whether uh, we're in, we're in we're in the midst of installing cameras around the building so that one of the ideas is that if i put cameras on the on the uh, Saint Kilda Road roadside, um, and point them away from the building, and then put that image on the face of the building. Uh, you'll be able to cl- what we call cloak it, so you'll look. You'll be able to look right through the building. Mm. Um, so that's one of the ideas. Um, we're working on a weather activation um, to um, so that we can so that others can upload their, how the weather feels to them, upload and, and to start to develop and contribute to a visual voice of Melbourne. Um, and that's what I mean when I, I, I really feel like it's starting to change this, this use of light and this understanding of light and the technology that delivers it is starting to change how our cities look and how we as citizens Um, get to play with that city and get to influence it because I don't really feel like um, video screens in our cities are particularly interesting and or uh, they're not, uh, they're essentially given for the few and they just are billboards that play ads and I'm not sure who wants to watch ads Um, Mm. so, so yeah, I'm trying to quietly or not so quietly subvert that.
2: Do, do you? Um, I mean, we love we love a festival in Melbourne, and we love kind of major events and and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way you're talking about light there kind of casts my mind to, to White Night, which also kind yeah. of has a big presence in in this space. Do, do you think we can be kind of uh, a little bit more playful about those types of ideas all of the time? And I mean, you're right. Even even in Melbourne, which sort of considers itself quite a cosmopolitan global city. There are still a lot of hard and fast rules like screens are screens are for media and screens are for advertising and serving a purpose and informing us and so forth. How, how, how would you like to see more play or more light brought into Melbourne even beyond Fed Square?
0: well uh, I mean it 's interesting when you talk about screens and and, and I really feel that is a perception that has to change because uh, essentially at the moment you 're right screens are seen as um, if I own a building, I can put a screen on a wall and, and show you ads and and that's that 's the extent of it but um, I feel like it could be could be much different. It could. I feel like uh, policies should be should be in place to make those um, to make those play non commercial content more 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 of the time. And I feel like that ability to allow people to you know we are such a, a much more visually literate culture now. Um, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty years ago. Um, We were fed the diet of visuals, and you could choose to watch or not. That was the extent of your choice. Um, But now we decide what media we consume when we want. So we have much more agency and much more literacy around our, our um, our own visual landscape. And I feel like this. So that's true in media and um, across all forms of media. And I don't see why that shouldn't be true in urban design. Um, so I feel like light is becoming more of a building material, mm. if you will, um, so that architecture and city planners can use light just like they use timber and concrete and um glass etc and so and and you know we have a building down at 888 collins street down in the docklands um which reflects the weather all the, every night of the week um and i feel like that has a connection to the environment and a connection to how melbourne s- experiences their spaces see you know, I was. I was really struck when I came from Canada, um, how obsessed everyone is with the weather, and and I am too now. Um, and so it is just part of the experience that 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 you know we all we all get light it's not an, a, a light is really an energy that we feel in our bodies it's not something we necessarily process in our brains and think about intellectually um, and I feel like that is a point of connection a universal point of connection between us all that um, that should be reflected and recognized in urban design
2: um, absolutely I think um, it's a it's a great idea and I think um, a lot of uh, I'm interested in the idea that um, people might give you responses or things that you don't expect. Um, I was even thinking mm. about sort of like Gertrude Street Projection Festival and, uh, um, and and those kinds of things where people just kind of do wacky wacky and weird stuff. Would you be okay if someone kind of... You know, we've got a great kind of graffiti tradition in Melbourne and Fed Square, I still think of um, Flinders Street and Flinders Street, of course, used to be underneath um, Fed Square. You know, it still kind of is... Would you be okay if people kind of like disrupted it, did something really weird and, and different with it? Or do you need to kind of curate a strong kind of idea for it for it to, to work?
0: I think there is room for for what you're talking about. And, and in the content we made for it, we did um, spend a fair bit of time trying to express the existing kind of street art culture in Melbourne. Um, but uh so it's it's a tricky one i feel like um subversion and uh and kind of disturbance and distraction um, of the normal visual language and routine is valuable mm. um and I, I really do, and I think that the disruption um, that that brings is a valuable um, type of um, design language, really, and it and it, it actually um, increases the envelope for other artists and other people i mean other creative people and i see i don't i don't see artists or creative people as exclusive i, I just kind of see that as all of us um, so that, so i think the disruption increases the envelope where those um, where others can then gain a voice that they may not other, uh, otherwise have i would temper that though um, with saying um, that in the public space there is a responsibility as well, if you get a, a canvas of this sort and uh, a, a place to express it, um, there there is a responsibility that comes with that. Um, so that your your expression, um, perhaps the phrase I would use is that it, it, it so that my expression, if I seek to disrupt, it doesn't necessarily impose on you. Mm. So that, that that my expression is can can coexist with you um so that that so i do feel that there is uh, a responsibility to, to you know if i want to disrupt that's fine but um that doesn't mean i need to impose on you mm. i can i can be disruptive um and still coexist with you so uh, that's I, I feel there's a there is a balance there to be struck
2: so if people want to get down and, uh, and check it out um when when can they do so when is when is the unveiling or when does a light
0: it's it, uh it is it launched last week and it's on mm-hmm. 24 hours a day um there is uh there's a series there's about 20 hours of visual content that we shot which um are, is we call the textures of melbourne um and you can see things you recognize um but are perhaps rarely seen um and then there's a, the beginnings of what is um, a response from various artists and production companies, and that will only grow um, over time. So, um, so yeah, it's 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 on for uh, 24 hours a day. So you can go down there now.
2: I might sneak past it on the way home.
0: <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks.
2: Great. Uh, Bruce Ramus, the artistic director at Ramus Studios, talking about the new um, installation um, at Fed Square. Get down, have a look, and um, let us know your thoughts. Um, we have a couple of <laughs> minutes left of the show. Um, we did want to um, uh, send a few things your way before we do um, get out of here and hand over to Anthony Carew for International Pop Underground. Um, printing ain't printing um, anymore. Um, HP is printing drugs for the Centre for Disease Control to speed up antibiotic testing. So, um, I think one of the interesting things about technology is the way it has helped with um, uh, medical tasks um, over the recent times. Um one of my favourite things was getting people to play a game where they um, choose patterns in um, in relation to health. So I think it was actually um, patterns in um, DNA, it might have been. Mm. Um, I may be wrong there. But um, this one's a great one. Um, at least 2 million people in the US become infected with um, superbugs um, and at least 23,000 people die as a result of these um, each year uh, according to um, CDC, the Centre for Disease Control. So HP's um, biohacker technology is working with the CDC on um, a pilot program to print and test antibiotics in an effort to catch these um, antimicrobial resistant strains from spreading faster um, so of course you know we've been 3d printing stuff for, for a little while now but um you can print pretty much anything. We can print um, organs, skin, um, um, print yourself a motorcycle if you're praying this one, um, Dan, um, <laughs> which is great. So I, I think this is a great idea for a pilot.
1: Um, Absolutely. And I mean, you know, considering, you know, we're fast moving towards a period where antibiotics aren't actually going to be as effective as they have been in the past century, mm. the fact that we don't need to necessarily research new microbes or whatever to fight it, we can actually, mm. you know, look reverse engineer it is is kind of exciting although perhaps um, you know we we need to be a bit careful about trumpeting this as the answer to uh, antibiotic resistance but still I was just kind of like harmonica it not (laughs) really trumpeting it
0: (laughs) this has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne truly independent community radio want to hear more? check out our website at rrr.org.au